0: Welcome to the second episode of Culture Curriculum. Uh, I'm Isaac Klopfenstein here with my beautiful wife, Jenna. Hi, guys. And we are very excited to have a special guest with us today, Dr. Lisa Cordes from United Way of Central Ohio. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on what we talked about in the first episode of Vision, which is the first uh, step into building elite culture. And Dr. Cordes is going to help us elaborate on that. So thanks for joining us, and let's prepare to stay the course.
1: Hey guys, so like Isaac said, we are excited and grateful to be joined today by Lisa. Lisa is the president and CEO of United Way of Central Ohio, one of the largest United Way organizations in the country. Under her leadership, United Way is helping to mobilize the Central Ohio community to reduce poverty. Dr. Cordes is a PhD psychologist with over 25 years of experience working in nonprofit leadership, having served for over 10 years as a CEO, co CEO, and clinical director of agencies directly providing services to those living in poverty in Ohio. With that said, Welcome, Lisa, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Great. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into questions, would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey and how you are where you are today as the president and CEO of United Way of Central Ohio?
2: I will. So I think that um, formative experiences are really important. And I urge you all to think about what was it in your early years 18 and younger, that had an indelible impact, and we all have them, and maybe we're not always cognizant of them, but I uh, went to uh, elementary school in the 1970s, early 1970s, at a time when there was segregation and desegregation, so it it left this just profound impact on my life where I had to which was painful for me to watch kids come being literally bussed into my neighborhood, having to leave their neighborhood and drive a really long time into my neighborhood and come to a school. These were African-American children come into an all-white community and the tensions were so high for all, for all of us because it was a time in our country where it was, there was so much political unrest and we were one of the last communities actually to enforce desegregation. So I thought a lot as a young person about justice and injustice and equality and access to opportunities. And so it really formed, that was a formative experience that then inspired me to always want to work uh, in roles where I could help people have greater access to opportunity and work with people who didn't have the opportunity and the good fortune that I was by chance born into.
1: So that's a very powerful story, and that's awesome. Can you take us through kind of your career path, or that's how you got into it, your career path and your educational background a little bit?
2: So I'm a native of Washington, D.C., and growing up um, after I finished college, my dad said, well, you're going to go work for a corporation. And I thought, why would I want to go work for a corporation? And he said, "Oh, you'd have... All these stocks. And I didn't know what he was talking (laughs) about. I didn't want to do that at all. Now I wish I had some of those stocks. um, So I went to work for an educational association in Washington. And, you know, life takes you in certain paths. So I was happy to be working for an educational association. It fit my core values and how I wanted to be spending my time. And I met my husband through work. And he lived, this was in Washington, D.C., and he lived in West Virginia. Close enough that we could have a commuter dating relationship. So then we got married, and I moved to West Virginia. And I know everybody was like, Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. It was great. So we lived there for five years. And I, at the time, really, because he served as president of a, of a college there, West Virginia Westland, and I wondered, well, what if I am a trailing spouse for a long time? I'm like, I don't, I don't like that idea of being a trailing spouse. <laughs> so I thought this is a great time for me to go back and get more education. And my husband is a strong proponent of that. That's the one thing that no one can take away from you is your education. Yeah. And then, so I got a master's degree at West Virginia University in counseling and then found a program. I wanted to get a PhD. I found a program where I could drive, and the closest PhD program from where we lived in West Virginia was – University of Akron. So I left on Monday mornings and came back on Thursday afternoons Mm. and spent um, five years getting a PhD. And I'm I'm trained as a psychologist. And um, during that time, my husband got a new job and coincidentally it was closer and it was at Ohio Wesleyan in Delaware, Ohio. So now we're in Ohio permanently. We've been here 25 years, which is great.
0: That's, That's interesting. So how did the... I guess your passion for social justice translate to a desire to pursue or to educate in psychology
2: right so I was always so interested in the relationship between formative experiences and people's behavior and their choices in life so I'm fascinated by learning about people's journey and that which is impacting them in their lives hurting them and how they then can help I can maybe help facilitate their recovery or learning better to deal with their challenges. But I quickly found that as a therapist working with people one on one, I was much more interested in the systemic problems. So if you see someone, you know, if you see children over and over again that are being abused, you think, what is going on in our society that so many children are being abused? And so I was much more interested in looking at the systems level, like how can we affect um, change at that level versus the individual level. I thought my skills would be better used and the impact would be greater. So I started running the mental health center where I served as a therapist, and then I've had administrative jobs since then running organizations that have a bigger impact.
0: And so I guess my next question is how that translated or translates to your vision at United Way of Central Ohio. So for anyone who's not aware, uh, the United Way of Central Ohio, their vision is to build a community in which everyone has the aspirations, resources, and opportunities to reach their fullest potential. So I think that the the parallels there are, are relatively obvious, but uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I,
2: I just... I feel like I'm in like one, a dream job. For me. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, it's and perfect. Wait, I was at the Columbus foundation prior to this job. Every day, my job was to get up and think, how can I help utilize the assets of the organization that I'm running and the assets in the community to make our community better? And how can we help those that are most vulnerable? So, and I've also enjoyed, um, finding the resources. Like I, I, I'm inspired by philanthropy. I believe in philanthropy. And in all of my roles, my job has been to help leverage the resources required to run the organization. So a big part of my work now is raising, helping to raise money. We we have a, typically a $50 million campaign that we have to raise each year that then we can um, help allocate out into the community to help our mission to have those people who have, are less fortunate – reach their greatest potential and I th- we think about it a lot so as we make decisions about how we do our work does it align with our mission
0: you know we believe a vision before what you just said they help you make your decisions when you're making a decision for your organization you go back to your mission statement and say does this fit what we truly stand for and it makes your decision-making much easier
2: we work with a strategy map right now very brief plan it's not even a plan. It's just our key components of our work. And we have a dashboard and it's on one page.
1: You stay focused on that. Focused yeah. On that. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I think all too often, Isaac and I are coaches, but all too often, like you, we were talking about before, Lisa, is we get caught up in all these things that is tangential and then you lose sight of your focus, which is your vision. And so, no, I mean, you're batching up with our thoughts. Yeah. Pretty spot on there
0: you talked about you know the one page dashboard what was the process in developing that so that and even back to the mission statement as well you said you use that to make your decisions what was the process to develop that um and who was involved
2: so it was a small team of people and i certainly led that effort as a new ceo and got feedback along the way from my colleagues senior level colleagues, all staff board and then also took it out to key stakeholders primarily funders who are you know deeply invested in our work and it needed to it needed to resonate with them because they're big investors and it and it did but it was it, it was an interesting time in my career because we didn't really throw a wide net it was a small net because we feel like we don't have the time for a wide net and i've seen people cast a wide net and get tons of opinions mm-hmm. and get all caught up in that mm-hmm. and don't have the time then to get to work yeah right and then there was big plan so the net was the net was not as wide as i've thrown it before and i've seen others throw it is
1: was there a difference between your conversation with your your coworkers in the office versus your investors or how, what did you call them? Right? Yeah, stakeholders. your stakeholders.
2: Yes, because my coworkers typically—I'll just generalize about coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're invested in protecting their work, right? And then stakeholders are invested in the success of their investment. So, in their own ways, they're they're wanting to protect their work too, but it they're bolder in it and they think f- about the I f- I find they think more about the greater needs of the community and they think vision whereas I think co-workers tend to think how am i going to protect the work that i'm doing what does this mean to me to my job to my job right and so that's important yeah absolutely to know what that how that means but the to get the balance is really important
1: for sure how do you communicate what you and your coworkers are saying, you know, behind the door to your stakeholders in a way that now you're all believing in that same vision. And I think that's a piece that, you know, as any leader, whether you're a coach or a CEO or whatever that may be, the way that you communicate it to people is almost everything because that's their perception.
2: So the other variable in this is that I'm new. I've been there a year now and succeeding someone who's been there 14 years. So typically when you're succeeding someone that's been there that long, it is time for change. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have a community that's ready for the organization to change. We have an organization that's 130 years old in the world And it needs to change. So there's this readiness for change. So that's a confounding variable. I'm not certain. I'm answering your question, except that um, it's like there's a synergy about what people
1: want and it's change, right? So you and you focus on that. So and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what you're focusing on. Hey, this is where you guys were. You know, I'm new. It's time for change, and you're and that's almost giving that you're igniting them with with change? Yes.
0: And did you find that it was the same I guess sentiment of desire for change both within that small net and then kind of like Jenna asked, you know, as you're conveying whatever it was that you guys decided within the small net it was you're communicating that to you know, both people within your organization and people with outside and not even just stakeholders, the entire community, because that's really who you guys aim to work for. Um, How was, how was that communicated to the entire community then as well?
2: Well, in some ways it's in my, my, my head, it's simple because we are um, an antiquated, we have an antiquated business model and model of raising money. That has been disrupted by, well, the internet totally disrupted the model, right? So it was, and that we we realized as an industry we have become complacent because we had been the largest charity in the world and the largest charity in the country until last year. Mm. United Way has, so you do become you don't realize that maybe that you're complacent. And then came the internet, and oh my gosh, people didn't have to give in their workplaces anymore. There are so many ways to give. Right. And so if we don't innovate, we will, will will die.
1: She said one of the strong words, innovate. I think yeah. innovate is like innovation is such a captivating thing in society. That word itself. Like, I mean, if you, and that's Apple, we always talk about Apple, yeah, right? The time, yeah. They're the innovators of the world now. And another word that you said that Isaac and I talk about a lot is complacent. And how complacent is a negative place to be?
0: It's gradual. It's not. It's not. It's not like you all of a sudden became complacent. Like you said, it was. It was over time that all of a sudden we're in a place that we didn't want to be. Right. Um, kind of lost your vision, maybe. Right.
1: And we talk about the difference between complacent and being content. And so in our minds, content means you're you're happy. You're happy where you are and complacent means you're refusing Mm -hmm. to work to improve yeah yeah so i love that you threw that word out because we've been talking about that a lot yeah
0: that's definitely been a topic of conversation recently
2: yeah and i wonder if there's some arrogance and complacency that we don't need to change we don't need to change i as i look at culture and as we talk about improving our culture i believe that there are, are people who say they want to but it's hard to do And so sometimes when it gets hard, your default is to go back to the way you used to work. And I think that's human nature.
0: Mm -hmm. Because it was working before. It
2: was working before. And it's comfortable. So how do you then, as the leader, help people move forward and take risks uh, when it might not be in their DNA to do that? And maybe they've worked there 20 years and that's not been the culture So, I've been about like, we got to fail fast. We got to try things and fail fast. And I'd say, as an industry united way, in our DNA, it's not about taking risks.
1: So, Lisa, obviously, all your employees have different personal goals and start in different positions in their careers and lives. How do you get them on the same page working toward a common vision?
2: I do think you have to articulate it in writing. I do think you have to have buy-in and input and co-creation to get it in writing so that we can always refer back to those pillars of our of our culture and our values. But I I it's very important for the leadership and the leader of the organization to to walk the talk every day. Because I do believe it trickles down as much as I don't want it had to have to be that way yeah I just think it is that way right absolutely
0: you mentioned the pillars of your organization how how do you relate the pillars to your vision I guess what what role do the pillars play in the vision for the organization
2: so I, I think a couple of things um, it's about how we treat each other at work as colleagues is also then How we treat community, right? You can't. In my belief, you can't separate those two. That's core. How we honor each other and treat each other and value each other as human beings is core to our work. I believe it's core to everyone's work, but especially Mm -hmm. our work, as we're helping those people who really are, you know, are are vulnerable citizens, residents of our community. So it's how we treat each other.
1: So pulling out a couple of things, uh, you said there, co-create it, which. I love because as coaches, we talk about this all the time, the importance of our players and in your case, your team members feeling like they have a say or they're a part of that vision and whether they truly do or not, it's their perception and they need to perceive that their opinion is valued and that they're having some role in creating that vision for your program or your organization, whatever that may be. So I love the co-create it. And then you talking about it trickling down that it starts from the leader. If a leader doesn't feel convicted in their vision and truly live and breathe it and through their words and actions day in and day out embody that vision then nobody's going to follow you and nobody should. Right. Right.
0: Yep. 100%. That's absolutely true.
1: Failure is always an interesting topic. So my question to you is, what do you feel like is the most common reason a leader fails to either create an effective vision or more importantly, convey their vision to their employees? Inconsistency too much ego.
2: Too much about themselves and not about something bigger than themselves.
0: Do you think a vision always has to involve something bigger than yourself? I do. Cuz that's and, and obviously for your organization that's true and that's something Jen and I have kind of wrestled with a little bit is does your vision have to in all in all instances have to involve uh, something bigger than yourself
1: and we believe we believe it does
0: we do we do believe it does either either a cause you are giving up yourself for a cause that is bigger than yourself or you are giving up for another person definitely believe there has to be something where that vision involved you know something bigger than yourself
1: yeah at least something else that you said in that um last little piece is you said at your and i might mess up your, mess up your words. But you said in your office, when you guys are together, you and your employees, you guys have to live out your vision and you guys have to day in and day out embody that. And if you do, then it makes the rest easy. Is that kind of what you were saying? Cause Isaac and I, we say that too. Like if we live it at home, then, and Then it's going to be easier to live it in our workplace. There's not going to have to be that jekyll and hyde or that on and off switch, and I I think that's hard. Uh, And I, so you live it at
2: home. You're pointing because we're in your home, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can't hear. I don't know if your your audience knows that, but then your work's also a home. Right, where you're right, yeah. So you have to live it there and you have to live it here. Absolutely,
0: you use the word inconsistent. I think that when your vision is not something that is truly deeply rooted within you, it's difficult to stay consistent. But when your vision is something that you truly truly believe, staying consistent is not easy, but it's easier. Yes,
1: does that. Do you believe do you believe that comes with in yourself so you're so convicted that it doesn't matter what your employees say to you because they're not going to they're not going to change how you feel
2: well, well there's some truth in that but <clears throat> what if I do need a check or a balance and you know I'm a little off and I'm starting to believe things that, about myself that aren't true or that I think I'm living the the culture and live in the brand, but I'm not. Mm. Right. So we we always have to be open to what people are saying.
0: And I think it's important to have that, at least that one or two, that small group of people that you can trust to be brutally honest with you when you need it. But I think that, yeah, it's a really good point. You're even in a little bit more of a unique situation because your vision, it's not just employees that you're appealing to. You're appealing to to these other stakeholders who you're hoping continue to donate to your organization And when they don't like something with your vision, that can put you in a difficult situation, I imagine, as well.
2: And that's where I think consistency is really important. And I've watched nonprofits, because that's my space, uh, who get threatened in the landscape of changing policies, government regulations, philanthropy, start to take on some new things to try to stay relevant and it can take you down a path that's not sustainable, and it the you lose sight of what your culture and your vision and your mission is. It
1: just becomes really
2: watered down.
1: as you guys see, Lisa's very real, and she's very passionate about what she believes in and you're I mean you're saying as a leader, you don't know everything, and you're very open to you're very open to people giving you another view on things, and I can speak from personal experience. Those are the leaders I want to follow. Yeah. You know, because they're not putting themselves on a pedestal. They don't have that arrogance about them. And arrogance is different than confidence. You can be confident in something, but you're not you're not standoffish to hear somebody else's opinion. And you're saying that, which I love to hear as a young leader. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I do think
2: age helps you to be able to do that. I wish I could go back and look at myself as a younger person to see if I was doing that. You know, I hope I was doing that, but it just gets easier as you get older to think less about your... For me, it does. Think less
1: about myself and more about service to others. Do you think you as a younger leader, you did things more for you than you do now? Well, I think
2: that there are is a confidence that you get as you grow older because you have to make certain decisions when you're younger. Like you're really worried about your next job, Mm. right? And keeping this job. And so you make decisions based on things that are very real, right? And it's competitive. And so I feel like I'm in a place in my career where I feel better than ever that I can make the right decisions, not about me, but about the people that work with me and about communities.
0: So Lisa, we really appreciate you joining us uh, today and giving some insight into how an organization can be, can build culture by focusing on their vision. Is there anything you'd like to share uh, with our listeners here before we close?
2: Well, I'm reminded um, of how hard the work is in the social services sector. And when you build your career, uh, and for the, thank goodness, the many, many people that build their career in the helping profession to help those who are the working poor and people that live in poverty. And I often reflect on that I think that actually many things have gotten worse for our society, for those who are economically segregated during my career. They haven't gotten better, but I've been in roles that have, has, have, I've had the privilege of working to help make things better, and I don't necessarily see them getting better. I actually see them getting worse. I see that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and and Columbus is known as one of the is the second most economically segregated city in our country. Hmm that's not something that we should be proud of. So we right. see, you know, all the cranes and how well many of us are doing, but many of us aren't doing that well. But every day I wake up with this optimism that it can happen. So I feel like I'm so fortunate that I found the right career for me. Because yeah. it could be
1: a real downer. But every day I think, okay, we can do this. Especially, I mean... We all need that mindset, to be honest with you, but especially in your field. So that's, I mean, that's very inspiring. Yeah, inspiring. And I love that you used optimism because I think that that word alone ties to mindset.
0: And when you you are, when you're convicted to your vision, when you're fully invested in your vision, that optimism, I think, will, will come naturally.
1: Which, which ties to our positive self-talk component.
0: Yep. Right.
1: Well, Lisa, we cannot thank you enough. We love talking to you. We think the world of you and what you're doing at United Way of Central Ohio. For those of you who did not listen to our first podcast, be sure to check that out. And also... Um, Go ahead and get on United Way of Central Ohio's website, please, because it is a great, great cause. They're doing wonderful things in a city, like she said, that is struggling and that continues to struggle. I can't thank you enough, and I am glad to have you guys along on this journey with us.
0: Please follow us on Twitter. You can find me at iKlop, I-K-L-O-P.
1: Me at Jenna Klopp, J-E-N-N-A-K-L-O-P.
0: And you can also get updates and learn a little bit more about us on our website at culturecurriculum.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at culturecurriculum and on YouTube at culturecurriculum. So, again, we'd like to thank Dr. Cordes for joining us today um, and look for our next episode where we will be focusing on the stay the course piece. So, until then, let's prepare to stay the course.